Welcome to Raising the Bar, the one and only podcast that centers the lives and experiences of women of color while discussing legal issues and policies. We aim to inform, educate, and provide concrete tools to empower, expand, and raise the bar for our communities and ourselves. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Hey, welcome to the, I had to look at the board. Welcome to the seventh episode of Raising the Bar podcast. My name is Iman and I am your host. I'm so glad that you all joined me for this episode. I did not post an episode. We do every other week. So I didn't post an episode of what would have been two weeks ago because I was on a much needed vacation, but I am back and ready to discuss. (sighs) Back and ready to discuss the midterm elections. Like, what in the hell is going on? I don't even know where to begin. I actually, you will see, um, you'll hear a special guest that's going to come on and just discuss what's going on in Georgia. Because I don't quite, frankly, I'm, it's a shit show, y'all. And I'm just amazed at every day what happens in Georgia. So if if you're not familiar with the Georgia gubernatorial race, the governor's race, race for governor, Please stay tuned for this. That's actually going to be the last thing, um, the last thing that I talk about. But yeah, no, today I picked four races and then a couple of just policy or ballot questions um, to talk about regarding the midterms. And I, I think it's going to be a very informative uh, podcast. We're going to talk about something called Marcy's Law, which I think is on the ballot in six states and why you should not, you should think twice definitely about voting for that. Um, in addition, we'll talk about a, a bunch of the election, election-related or voting-related ballot questions we have across the nation. Um, and yeah, we're going to end with Georgia's governor race. So before we begin, let's get into the affirmation. Today's affir- well, today's positive thought is not really an affirmation. I think sometimes we need, really need to remind ourselves um, of a few things, but More so, um, I found this on IG from, um, I think her name is Emily McDowell, and her IG is Emily, E-M-I-L-Y, McDowell, M-C-D-O-W-E-L-L, underscore. So it's all one word and then an underscore at the end. And I thought that it resonated with me because I think sometimes we talk about finding ourselves, but we don't realize that we've been here all along. And so let me just get in it, get get into it. So it's finding yourself is not really how it works. You aren't a $10 bill in last winter's coat pocket. You are also not lost. Your true self is right there, buried under cultural conditioning, other people's opinions, and inadequate, inad, inac, excuse me, and inaccurate conclusions you drew as a kid that became your beliefs about who you are. Finding yourself is actually returning to yourself an unlearning, an excavation, a remembering who you were before the world got its hands on you. And again, that's by Emily McDowell. And that resonated with me because I think what I'm realizing is that my thoughts more than anything are so powerful and thoughts lead to belief, beliefs lead to actions. And every day I try to focus on no matter what's going on, being 
positive and that starts with thinking positive. And, and, and so, you know, I went through some trauma or just some difficult issues or difficult life, life happened to happen to me within the last couple of years. And the way that I chose to kind of heal from that is to return to myself. And that started with thinking positive. That just started with one understanding who I was. I did a lot of journaling. I did a lot of trying to discover or try to remember who I was pre all of the foolishness. Um, and it really, really helped me, um, not find, but it returned to who I really am at the center. And so I just urge all of you just to continue working yourself every single day. And I think one of the things that, um, also resonated with me is that even if we're flawed, we're still whole. And I think that that speaks to, it doesn't matter. We just have to remind ourselves who we really are. Cause at the, at the very center, at the core of it, you know, we are very resilient and we just have to unlearn a lot of the things, especially I think as women of color and black women. And I've talked about this many times, just the microaggressions. And we're always told we're not enough. And we're told that we're too loud and too big and too skinny and, and just so much. And sometimes it really helps to just block all of that out and really truly remember who you are. So yeah, so up next, we will talk about the midterms and I'm focusing on just four races. It's so much to talk about. I actually, on our website, www.rtbpodcast.com, I posted links to about, I want to say 25 uh, races, well, 25 candidates. I posted links to their actual uh, web pages so you can learn more about them. And it's just a way to uplift a lot of the women of color that are running because there's a tremendous amount of women that are running um, during this midterm election cycle. Um, So I posted about 25 of them. So please check us out, www.rtbpodcast.com, and it's under the Bar Raising Memos section. Yeah, so up next, uh, the 2018 midterm elections and the shit show that's going on in Georgia. Uh, Stay tuned. All right, y'all. So the first one or the first candidate that I wanted to talk about was actually running for um, congressional representative of CT5. So this is the 5th Congressional District of Connecticut. And her name is Johanna Hayes. Johanna Hayes, I'm sorry. Um, and she was actually, she doesn't have any prior um, um, public office experience, but she was actually 2016 National Teacher of the Year. Um, And she spent 15 years teaching history and government and now works um, training teachers in Waterbury, Connecticut. And Waterbury is extremely special to me because I was actually a field organizer uh, for a congressional representative back in 2014. Um, So I I worked in Waterbury and I really think Waterbury gets a bad rap, but I've met some of the the sweetest people um, from Waterbury. But, you know, Johanna Hayes, Johanna Hayes, I'm sorry, I keep saying her name wrong. Um, she actually said she never considered politics until this current presidential administration. And I think, she, you know, she says it left her, you know, when he was elected, it left her sitting in front of her television just frustrated. And she took that energy and she decided to go for it. And she won the primary. And so I am sending, you know, so much love and positive energy to um, Mrs. Hayes. Um, She has, 
you know, a very, very special story. She grew up in a housing project in Waterbury. She was raised by her grandmother because her mom was addicted to drugs. And then she became a mom at 17. And so she's overcome a lot in her life and went on to become 2016 Teacher of the Year, in addition to winning the, the Democratic primary from Waterbury. So kudos to her. And I definitely uplift her. And, you know, just her entire campaign, your know, field campaign staff, I know how it is. GOTV is coming up. So, y'all, keep your head up. And, you know, I definitely uh, wish uh, Miss Hayes nothing but the best. The next one um, I wanted to talk about would be uh, Florida's governor race. Um, I know a lot of people, this is a, a kind of well-known race. Andrew Gilliam is running for... Um, he's the Democratic candidate for governor in Florida, and he's actually the current mayor of Tallahassee. Um, so, yeah, we've seen a lot. So I'm really not going to get into too much when it comes to Florida, but I will say this. Um, he's running against Ron DeSantis. Uh, Florida has not elected a Democratic governor this century, right? So this is a big deal in Florida. But I also wanted to uplift that the Florida Supreme Court just ruled that the next governor of Florida could possibly appoint three out of the seven justices on the state's highest court. And so that is a lot at stake in Florida. Florida usually is on my list of like states. It's just like, what the hell? What? What is going on? Usually it's Florida and Louisiana and Arizona <laughs> and now Georgia. But I did want to point out that there's a lot at stake with this Florida election. I saw some foolishness about Andrew, about, you know, Andrew Gilliam being, you know, under FBI surveillance or something like that. And that, of course, there's no truth to that. But I did want to point out, you know, that the next governor will have, and I think it's the same in Maryland, the next Maryland governor will also have the opportunity to choose a lot of the um, justices or judges on the highest state, on the highest state court, right? And so when we talk about, the importance of, you know, the importance of judges, the importance of changing the court makeup. I just want us to be very clear that it's happening on the federal level. And we saw it recently with Kavanaugh and we've saw it with, you know, this, this presidential administration being able to push through so many district courts to so federal judges, right? Because honestly, you change the courts, you, you have a long-lasting impact on this country. And so there are a lot of governor races, the gubernatorial races, races um, in this midterm election next month. And so don't just think about the Supreme Court, right, the highest court in the land. Think about the highest court in your state. Think about a lot of these state Supreme Courts, and they all, they're all don't go by, you know, Supreme Court. But think about some of the highest courts that you have and the executives that you're putting in, in place at the state level who have to make the same decisions that this current presidential administration needs to make. And, you know, so, the, so I, I really want us to make sure that we're not forgetting that a lot of the same issues that we see nationwide on the federal level, we also have at the state level. And I just want us to be very clear that the court system, right, and the makeup of the court system is, is very important to policy decisions, is extremely important. And so the third candidate that I wanted to talk about 
is out of New York. She's running for attorney general of New York. Um, her name is Tish James. And I wanted to talk about her, but I also wanted to just uplift the importance of state attorney generals, right? We've seen state attorney generals just recently. We've seen state attorney generals, you know, do their part in resisting the current presidential administration. And what I mean by that, you know, as soon as um, we had the immigration ban, a lot of attorney generals got together and sued the federal government, right? But you actually saw it on the other side, too, with the ACA. And that was a huge push from Republican AGs where they sued over the ACA. And so, so just talk about since this current presidential administration, you know, Democratic attorney generals have resisted this administration on everything from immigrant rights to labor rights to legalizing marijuana. And like I said, you know, just on the other side, Republican attorney generals have, you know, aligned with this, this presidential administration, and they've done their part to undermine the ACA and promote judicial nominees like our current Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, right? Um, but the role of the AG, I'm not sure if everyone is familiar with the actual role of the attorney general at the state level, um, and we're not talking about Beauregard, <laughs> Jeff Sessions, Easton. We're not here to talk about him, but we're talking about the role of the AG on the state level. They're known as the chief law enforcement officer, right? And, and you have about 30 elections for AG this November. So about there, there are 30 states that are looking um, to elect an attorney general this November, and attorney generals, they have the authority to safeguard the environment, protect consumers, shield employees from workplace abuses, defend immigrants, and rights for women, women and members of the LGBTQ community. They can also, um, you know, work on criminal justice reform, demand accountability from the Catholic Church, uh, voting rights. That's also um, an area in which they can litigate. Um, and, you know, honestly... You know, they have the authority to address presidential wrongdoings as well. And I think what's so important about the New York attorney general is that the state of New York, right, is um, the place in which a lot of um, this current president's uh, business businesses are, you know, they're incorporated. And so they would have to be brought in the state of New York. And I think... Um, you know, Tish James, the, the woman who's running for Attorney General of New York, she actually said, you know, it's so significant. Um, she's promising to follow the money because we believe that um, the current president has engaged in a pattern and practice of money laundering, laundering the money from foreign governments here in New York State and particularly related to his real estate holdings. And so I know a lot of people, you know, they definitely talk about um going after him for that. And that has to be done in New York. And it has to be, um, and, and so that means that there needs to be an attorney general in place that actually wants to do that and is not afraid to do it. I, I can't imagine how that would be. Um, but yeah, so definitely think about a lot of your down ballot races. And what I mean by the down ballot races, races that are kind of on the bottom of the ticket. And on the top of the ticket, you kind of, you have the executives, you have the um, federal races up top and then as you move down you'll have the more state and then races that we may not be more familiar of most of the well-known races tend to be at the top of the ticket 
And so I just want us to be careful or just want us to be aware of the importance of many of these down down ballot um, elections and frankly, policy issues. So, you know, before we get into Georgia, I did want to uplift um, a couple of the ballot measures. And though these are generally at the bottom of the ticket as well, but there are a couple of ballot measures um, and we're seeing some of the same kind of issues and measures pop up nationwide. And so I, I did want to talk about a couple. So elections policy. Um, there are 21 measures in 20 states that deal with redistricting, voting requirements, ballot access, campaign finance, and ethics. So a lot of the um, election topics. And one of them that I definitely wanted to promote would be the one out of Florida. It's um, Florida Amendment 4 that focuses on voting rights restoration for felons initiative. And the measure was designed to automatically restore the right to vote for people with prior felony convictions. Um, and I, I wanted to point out that this is definitely, definitely the work of grassroots organizations in Florida, um, beating the pavement and getting this done or just getting us on the ballot. Don't ever think that, you know, the Florida government, the Florida legislature said, hmm, I think I want to give persons with felony convictions the right to vote and the automatic restoration of right to vote. So shout out to all of the grassroots organizations that I'm sure played a big part in making sure that this was on the ballot this November. So um, in addition to that, so hmm, state of Louisiana. State of Louisiana has Louisiana Amendment 1, felons disqualified to run for office for five years amendment. The ballot was put on, <laughs> the, the measure was put on the ballot by the state legislature and uh, the actual voters of Louis, Louisiana voters actually approved Amendment 9, which kind of did the same thing except for 15 years in 1998, but the Louisiana Supreme Court struck that down. And so the Louisiana, Louisiana state legislature decided that they wanted to put this ballot um, on this measure on the ballot for November. Of course, vote no. Anyway, uh, Maryland question two. There's a question in Maryland about election day voter registration amendment. And the measure was designed to authorize a process for registering qualified individuals to vote at the precinct on election day. Um, this is great. Um, this will allow individuals to, to come to your polling precinct on election day. You register and you vote in the same day. Currently, right now, you are allowed to, in Maryland, you are allowed to register and vote during early voting, but you're not allowed to do that during, on election day. So this will allow uh, people to do it on election day. Uh, let's see, what else do we have? North Carolina. Did I mention that North Carolina was one of the states that just make me, send me to a very, very special evil place? North Carolina voter ID amendment, and not the people of North Carolina, just some of the policy decisions that come out of North Carolina, but North Carolina voter ID amendment, that's something that's on the ballot. It would create a constitutional requirement that voters present a voter ID to vote in person. And keep in mind, I think we're going to talk, when we talk about Marcy's law, we're going to talk about the fact that they are actually putting a lot of these policy issues into the constitution, which is, which is, um, 
which is problematic for a number of reasons. To make it a constitutional requirement that voters present a voter ID, voter voter ID to vote in pro- person is just overkill, number one. Number two, I'm almost positive, and I don't even have to look this up, that North Carolina probably has some sort of statutory statutory requirement for, you know, a voter ID statutory requirement, but now they want to put it in the Constitution. Um, marijuana. Marijuana, there are seven measures in five states concerning the legalization of medicinal or recreational marijuana. Um, Marcy's Law. This is what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to spend most of my time, I guess, while we're talking about ballot measures, to talk about Marcy's Law. So Marcy's Law will be on the ballot in six states, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Nevada, North Carolina, and Oklahoma. And Marcy's Law um, was actually, I believe, it's the brainchild of this very, very rich person who um, whose sister, I think, was the victim of a violent crime. And it is a violent is a victim's rights amendment. And the model legislation, so most of the states, the six states that I talk about, actually took this model legislation, tweaked it a bit, and they're pulling, putting it on their ballot for um, in November. But the model legislation states the right to be, so the victim has the following rights. The right to be notified about and present at proceedings, the right to be heard at proceedings involving release, plea, sentencing, disposition, or parole of the accused, the right to have the safety of the victim and victim's family considered when making bail or release decisions, the right to be protected from the accused, the right to be notified about release or escape of the accused, the right to refuse an interview or deposition at the request of the accused, and the right to receive restitution from the individual who committed the the criminal offense. Now, I know a lot of people, you hear victims' rights, and you you automatically want to go for it. And I I want you to think twice before you vote yes um, about about this ballot measure for a few reasons. First of all, you notice that a lot of what I said, I said accused. I didn't say convicted. I said accused. And so many of these, and especially if it's a constitutional amendment, like we talked about before, is very important. Let me back up. So this will be on the ballot in Georgia, right? To change the Georgia Constitution, right? To give victims these rights. However, it's really not necessary because Georgia already has a victim's bill of rights that does a lot of this, right? But you notice I said accused, which means that this will kick in for the victim even before a person has been convicted of a crime. And so this really undermines the innocent until proven guilty. God, you know, that you know that theme that kind of supposed to run throughout or throughout our criminal justice system. This undermines that, first of all. And many of these states, like I already said, already has something on the books as far as legislate, like statutory, that will give victims a lot of rights. Um, but for whatever reason, they're really they're trying to get this into the Constitution. And, you know, talk about so let's talk about a state who's already done this. South Dakota. Right. Has already passed a Marcy's law back in 2016. And what they saw, you know, after experiencing the impact, they had a lot of unintended, serious unintended, unintended consequences. 
They saw increased expenses, bureaucratic burdens, and they saw the fact that people who hadn't been convicted of a crime spent more time in jail um, while they awaited their day, their day in court because of Marcy's Law. Um, and so the only way that South Dakota, Dakota, so I don't really say that state's name much, so that's where that's coming from. But the only way um, that South Dakota um, were, was able to address, you know, some of the harmful side effects that they saw was to put another amendment on the ballot for their voters earlier this year. And so I, I really want us, and, and there's another reason why I think that we should be very, um, we should be very, we should be, we should really think about this type of constitutional amendment or just this type of policy, right? So our constitution, um, and when you talk about rights, right, our constitution is largely a constitution of negative rights. And what I mean by that is it tells us or it states or prescribes what the government is not allowed to do, to do. The government is not allowed to infringe upon our right to, you know, freedom of press, right? That's what the government, that's largely the way our constitution is set up, right? Because we are the founding fathers of this country saw that they, you know, there was a benefit in limiting the role of government when dealing with the private citizen, right? And so when we put in constitutional protections against two between two private citizens because that's basically what this is doing right this is giving one citizen more rights when interacting with another citizen that is a problem and we really need to make sure that this is something that we want and it doesn't have unintended consequences like we're seeing in South Dakota and I also want to talk about who exactly is a victim here because truth be told, more you know, when we talk about victims, we don't talk about the black men that are dying that are victims, right? We don't talk about the people who aren't worthy of being seen as victims. And I guarantee you that those same people who aren't worthy to be seen as victims won't benefit from this constitutional amendment in many of these states. They're going to figure out a way to opt them out. And so I want us to be careful when we put things like this, and especially when you put it into the Constitution, it's going to take, it's going to be a little harder to address the unintended consequences of this. So that is all that I had. I think I had maybe, do I have one more? Um, yeah, no, that's all that I had um, regarding Marcy's Law. Um, there's also, let's see, energy. There's four measures in states for, um, concerning fossil fuel and renewable energy and abortion. Three measures in three states concerning abortion access to funding and also minimum wage. And so a lot of these topics or issues or ballot measures, you know, they're down ballot. And so you know, they're down ballot measures. And so I definitely want you to, um, you can go to your Secretary of State's website probably and you can see a copy of your ballot and you can see what's going to be on it and you can see the ballot measures that will be on it and definitely take some time and research. Because um, when I talk to a lot of people about Marcy's Law, you know, of course, I think in Georgia and probably the six states that I mentioned that, you know, that it's on the ballot, they're putting a lot of money to promote it. And a lot of people, I think, 
you know, of course you say victim, you know, definitely I want to be there for victims. And I, and I am not saying that you shouldn't be there for victims. I'm saying that there's probably another way and it may be a less problematic way to be there for victims. Um, so yeah, we're going to take a quick break and then we will, um, I'll introduce you to my very special guest and we'll talk about this damn Georgia governor race, y'all. Like for real though, it's, it's mind boggling really. All right, so welcome back to the podcast. I am so, so excited to introduce my next guest. My next guest is actually my line sister. (laughs) But, you know, y'all know I try to find people who I feel, first of all, will be great guests to the podcast and also that are impacted by the things that we talked about. So talk about. So introducing Vanetta Green. She is um, one of my closest dearest friends, my line sister, and also a concerned Georgia resident. And I thought it would be great to talk to her, talk with her about the um, Georgia governor's race. So, hey, Vanetta. Hi, Iman and uh, our TV family. (laughs) So, um, how are you today, actually? I'm doing okay. I'm doing great, actually. I'm happy to be in the number, as the old folks say. In the number. Um, yes. So yeah, I just wanted to, you know, I, I I can't help but sigh when every time I talk about this race. And just to give you all um, a background, um, Stacey Abrams is running against Kemp, Brian Kemp, uh, for the governor of Georgia. Uh, Stacey Abrams is a black woman. She is 44 years old, one of six siblings. She actually grew up in Mississippi. Yale Law grad, former state legislative leader, award-winning author of eight um, novels. Um, And this is a very, very groundbreaking race. Um, You know, just to give you a little background, no surprise, all 82 governors of Georgia have been white men. So this is the first time, um, you know, a black woman, a woman, right, let alone a black woman has gotten this far. She actually won the Democratic um, primary. And so I think the reason why this election is so fun is so I called it a shit show early in the, in the, in the episode and it is and the reason why is Brian Kemp her um her opponent is actually the secretary of state and he's over so his day job is to um, run the election, right? That he, his secretary of state actually controls the election, um, the election of Georgia. And he's also running at the same time. So as a Georgia resident, Vanetta, like I, I, one, how do you feel? Like what's, what's the, what's the, what's the mood like in the state? I want to talk about that first. And then two, are people aware of the conflict of interest? Do they even care? Um, uh, from what I can tell, a lot of people are very aware. Um, I do feel like people feel like there's nothing they can do about it, which honestly, I don't know if there is anything you can do about it. People have called for him to resign. Um, there was even uh, Kathy Cox, who was a previous secretary of state who ran for office, said, you know, she spoke up and said, she, you know, she recused herself and she kept her job, but she recused herself of any roles dealing with the election just for the sake of making sure there was no look of impropriety, right? So I think that's the, it's the gauze, the, the privilege of the white privilege, right? Because mm-hmm. you, I can't sit here and say they will, they would 
be as quiet about someone else doing that. You know what I'm saying? When they when they think about how we talk about how rules are often different for white men than mm-hmm. they are for pretty much everybody else. I can't even just say white women and black men and black. It's just it's them and everybody else. And so just the fact that he he is not gonna step down. He made it clear he wasn't from the very beginning. And it's just, it's a and how a lot of the things that people say when it comes to oh he didn't have to do it in any any of this when we start talking about these different tactics of voter suppression that have happened as me and you have this conversation, people's like, well, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Oh, that's not on him. He's just enforcing the laws. But they're not taking into account he's had this position for eight years, since 2010. So you have to think about the long game. Do you really think he never thought he was going to run for governor until a year ago? Exactly. exactly. (laughs) And in a a way to stay, do you think he hasn't talked to the current governor? Do you think he had talked to current officials? The whole, and just because just in and of itself, the voter ID law in itself is very new Mm -hmm. you know and it was fought against so and deemed to be you know all the things that they say and they go back to this oh we try to you know prevent voter fraud when there is a less than 0.5 percent occurrences of voter fraud in the country Mm -hmm. let alone in georgia specifically so And I, you know, we talked about this before, you know, Brian Kemp described the election as a battle for literally the soul of our state, of our state. And, and, you know, all I hear is a dog whistle, right? Like, unless... Stacey Abrams I, is like... I don't even think they're dog whistles anymore. I mean, but you, you know, that's what they call it. I hear it, you know, because I guess I'm a dog. I don't know. I, I, I hear it, right? It's loud and clear to me. But, like, unless... It was since when did, and I don't know. And I, I was listening to a podcast earlier today about you know this race being indicative of just where we are in this country, and you know the the out the outcome of this race will determine where we're headed as a country. I don't. I mean, I find it very weird that people like all of a sudden are are surprised that we have like racist shit. Like I sometimes I'm like, where have you been? Like where where exactly have you been here? Um I think it's the convenient the convenient ignorance. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was much easier to ignore or much easier to make excuses for, oh you're being sensitive or oh that's not really what it is or you know, I mean they're still doing it now. You know, even what you say is extremely blatant, but there are literally still people saying no, 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 no. There's a race car. No, no, no. Just even at this, like the fact that one election has had all the inconsistencies. One election has had all these voter inconsistencies. And people are literally still defending Brian Kipp by saying he's just enforcing the laws. Or I even seen people say, oh, well, when they talk about the numbers, right, of the, the, the different types of issues that have happened with the the uh, registrations that were blocked or the ones that were purged, like that doesn't account for, you know, the percentage of the population. It still doesn't make it okay, especially we're not talking about the electoral college people. Literally one vote makes a difference in the gubernatorial race. and statewide, exactly. (laughs) And we talked about voter purging in the first episode. So if y'all haven't listened to it, please go back on rtbpodcast.com or go wherever you get your podcast to listen to the Supreme Court case who actually said that this was okay. Um, You know, the the case centered around Ohio, but I did mention that this has been done 
in several states and Georgia is one of them. And I will say, you know, um, I think last year they they canceled the registration of more than a half a million voters and they used the whole cleaning up the rolls. Right. And I, I still, you know, and, and I don't know if people realize that the 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 way that they're using and I, I think Georgia uses for what I understand the process that they use in Georgia is a little bit different than Ohio, but they use a process known as exact match to verify voting applications. And so um, the system checks new registration information against your driver's license, state ID cards, social security records to make sure that the name is perfectly matches, you know, what it is in the state state system. And if it doesn't, um, your application gets blocked, right? Um, So I I just want to talk about, are they talking about that? Because, you know, I'm not in Georgia anymore. I used to live in Atlanta, but, you know, What's what are they talking about as far as you know his record with purging voters and 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 is it is it a concern? I know it's not a concern of Republicans, right? Because you know they more likely than not will not be purged. Um, but is it a concern for I guess the Democrats in the state? Oh, it's definitely a concern. And again, it's because it's once again it's just a a list one thing each in a, a tally of things that have happened, right? Um, we've, let's just go, let's just talk about some of the things that happened just in 2018 in terms of voting. We have Randolph County where they attempted to close nine, nine voting stations out of the 11 in the entire county where it's what, 60% black, I believe they said. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have the 53,000. Because everybody, you know, get out to vote, get out to vote, get out to vote before the deadline. The deadline, I believe, was October the 9th. Um, and then we hear there are 53,000 registrations that are being held up, 70% of which are of African Americans. And then let's talk about, after the 70, we have probably another 20%, that 20 to 25% that are Latino and Asian, right? Because because they're saying less than 10% of these held registrations were white people. Um, and, and this is where the exact match part came in because they're saying that we, in terms of black people, Latinos and Asians typically have hyphens. We have longer names because I think in the Latin American community, um, a lot of times they have two names, mm-hmm. right? The two last names. Two last names. So, yeah, so all of that can't even fit on a voter registration card. So, of course, it's not going to match your ID. And then, um, the, then the purging. Right. The purging yeah. happened as well. So the purging was combination of exact match, combination of who hasn't voted, I believe. And it was it might have been two election cycles, yeah. I believe. Um, so all of these things, like like just those three things, it's probably more that we don't even know about. But those three things have just happened in the last couple of months that have kind of come out. The purging happened last year. But what happened was when people coming up to these midterms, people were like, wait a minute. Like people, I actually know, like that was a crazy thing. Like I have two or three friends on Facebook and coincidentally, both of them are military where they found out that when they went to go look that they weren't, had been unregistered. And they, and um, one young lady actually went to look because she went to, um, I think she went to renew her license. And you know, they ask you when you, renew your license do you want to register to vote and she's thinking no, i don't need to register to vote i'm already i've been registered since i'm 18 years old mm-hmm. only to find out that she wasn't anymore That's she had crazy. been kicked out and thank you for correcting me yeah because the exact match i think was only 
the cause of maybe 35,000 voting applicant applications canceled between 2013 and 2016. But the purging, more likely than not, was not voting in an election. You receiving a card in the mail. You may or may not have received the card in the mail. You may have may, you may or may not have known the consequences of not responding to the card in the mail. And then your name is purged. Um, and so that was the reason why we have about 500,000, 500, half a million voters. Um, so there are a couple of things I know we talked about. I wanted to talk about the um, the issue that happened. Is it Quitman, Georgia? Quitman? What? Q- Where? Q-U-I-T-M-A-N. Quitman, Georgia. It's Quitman, Georgia. Which, look, it's like I said, it's so many things. Like, <laughs> it could be that the black people getting kicked out the bus. Like, it's been, oh, it's well, been popping see, the last couple yeah, of months. Uh, apparently. No, we're going to talk about the poor, poor, poor. Um, you know, black people being kicked off the bus. That was fairly recent. But in 2010, activists in Quitman, Georgia, uh, yeah. um, undertook an absentee ballot push to boost, boost black turnout. And this is, I think, Kemp had just come in as Secretary of State because it's in 2010. Yes. Um that black tone of voter turnout helped, you know, um, African-Americans win a majority of seats on the county board of education for the first time in history. Now, this shocked a lot of people. Now, re, I'm trying to say it shocked a lot of white people. Um, and it aroused Republican suspicions because how dare they vote? And then they vote people that look like them onto the board and then they replace us. Um, and so, like, you know, the white school board members demanded an investigation. The GBI came in and they called in Brian Kemp's office. Um, and then they proceeded to question hundreds of voters. They arrested activists, all of them black. And um, three of them, they're actually arrested, I believe. Did they arrest the newly elected board members? I'm not sure of that. But the state failed to find evidence that the activists had coerced anyone to vote or committed any voter fraud. Um, Let's see what else. And they kept pushing, um, arguing that some still have violated the law by helping them fill out ballots and by mailing in sealed ballots. Um, And it was they literally ruined these people's lives over this election because they felt as if they they had to do something fraudulent in order for you all to win or how dare you come down and you help these people vote and at the end of the day they they could not find any wrongdoing on behalf of any of the activists or any of the board members yet the damage was done and Kemp largely oversaw this entire thing and then you think back like this is 2010 not 1950 Right. And I'm almost positive that a lot of people in Quitman, Georgia, because I don't even know where Quitman, Georgia is, they probably still feel, you know, that tension from 1950, especially if these were older people. You know, I, I, I heard a, um, a podcast today and a guy, he was from a small town in Georgia, and he says that the way that they feel, they know they don't feel as if voting is a right. They feel as if, as if it's a privilege. And they're treated as such. And if you don't stay in line, we're going to take this privilege away from you. It was a pastor from a small town in Georgia. And I'm just, I I, I shouldn't be shocked because, you know, we went to Georgia Southern University and that's clearly in the South. And (laughs) largely we were insulated, you know what I mean? In, In our, you know, our college town and on our college campus. And we didn't deal with a lot. We dealt with some, but we didn't deal with a lot. But it's just amazing to me how... People are still going through that, that type of intimidation tactics in 2010. Right. 
look in twenty in twenty eighteen. Oh, in twenty eighteen, <laughs> yes. If you want, you want to tell a, tell a people about the poor people that got kicked off the bus. <laughs> well, and you know, I don't even you know the thing about and honestly, it goes back to kind of what you said about how is all these things happening, right? Because when I first got the, saw the information about these senior citizens having to get off of this bus. I kept saying, no, no, no. I, I almost was like when they, you know, when they say white people, when it's a shooting, we need more to the story. I legitimately <laughs> felt like it had to be more to the story because my mind could not wrap around the concept that anybody would be that blatant without any type of sufficient standing evidence. But literally it was nothing. You know, it was that this, this act in this activist group, mm-hmm. um, I think it called Black Boat Matters or something Outside like that. Outside agitators. Outside agitators, that's actually what they've been calling them, were had a bus, 50-some people, went to a nursing home, nursing facility, um, and naturally, because it's called Black Vote Matters, and it's probably somewhere where there's a predominantly black population in this facility, they offered to transport people to the voting polls, to the polls, right, to vote early. Um, And... Apparently, the county someone called the county administrator when they saw this big charter bus because it's wrapped, it's wrapped with the logo, right? Um, and called the county administrator. He picked up the phone and called the administrator over at the facility and said those people had to come back and off the bus because it's a political activity and because it's a county run facility, they cannot quote unquote facilitate a political activity, which Going to vote, transport, transporting somebody to vote is not a political activity, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's just it's just not. But apparently the activist group, which I actually don't fault them, they basically said, you know, they didn't want no smoke, right? They said, you know what, mm-hmm. we go, we, we, we go, we go give you this. Because the lady who's trying to say that the lady was literally shaking the administrator. Like, she was physically bothered by this phone call she got. So it's no telling what he actually said to her, right? Even if he... Just because at the end of the day, that might be her boss, you know, or he can make things rough for her. So they didn't want to make things worse. So they blocked them back. Um, and then, you know, I think they have another way to make it happen. Um, but it was just, and, it took, and to see the video of all these elderly people who have lived, you know, when people talk about, oh, slavery was so long ago, civil rights so long ago. Like, these people have lived through it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's not a far-reaching cry for them. It's not something, a story somebody had to tell. These are active senior citizens who are elderly who've already lived through this. And for that, I cannot imagine, even though the video shows them smiling, not really upset, just more, more like we expect this, I can't imagine what kind of trigger that had to be. But you think about it, they probably did expect it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I did an episode on lynching, right? And it was definitely, you start, when you have that much trauma, right, every single day, like we we deal with trauma, like we deal with microaggressions and, 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 and we deal with a lot of things. Institutional racism is not the, hey, you are a nigga to your face, but it's more so this. You know what I mean? Systems conflating together to oppress you. But can you imagine like what they, they, they that that resonated. It, it, I don't want to say resonated with them, but that was definitely, and they still live in Southern Georgia. They still live in Georgia. They still probably, I don't know if they've lived there all their lives, but I guarantee you they probably said, well, mm, this is familiar. Right, right, right. 
You know, and and, right. and and that kind of speaks to the same pastor that I heard today saying they they treat us as if voting is a privilege, not a right. And that privilege can be taken away at any moment. And yeah, I yeah, yeah. It's mm. it's 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 one of those things where I almost wish I could get in the mind of these people who feel this way because they don't they they because now that it's you know I can't be racist, right? I'm just following the rules. That's what they kind of do it now. But they their memories are so short, are so convenient that they forget the rules are designed to keep black people down. So you following the rules is the problem. Mm-hmm. The problem is that it's a rule. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Or because I even I was on Facebook like looking at some stuff. And which I like you, I know you say I love to troll people and I need to stop trolling people. I really do. But sometimes the level of ignorance, it, I can't be quiet. And so this, I saw someone go, you know, do this defense of Brian Kemp about him following the law, right? It's not his fault. He's following the law. He's enforcing the law. So I commented and said, yeah, the law used to be, they had to be able to guess how many black people had to guess how many jelly beans used to be in a jar in order Mm -hmm. to vote. Do you know someone commented and said, could you show me proof of where that was true? I I could, I, <laughs> like, I guess I'm still stunned right now. Yeah. Like, I, I, and I had decided, oh, this rabbit hole, I'm not going down because you on another level, right? Mm-hmm. Like me and you can't, it's, if that's something, if that was your rebuttal for me to come back and show you where that was true, but I didn't have to do nothing because the other powers that be, somebody actually said, I learned that in eighth grade. Are you serious? <laughs> You know, and people like gave articles and stuff, but I couldn't even, and I was like, this is, I had this, me and one of my homeboys have this, I don't want to call hypothesis, but we call it the imaginary nigger syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I liken it to, and you know me, I'm all about sci-fi fantasy, to hobbits, vampires, warlocks, all that kind of stuff. Because I feel like when you start erasing history, and you start talking, acting like things didn't happen, and you silence things, it becomes, as years trans, transpire, it becomes a mythological situation, right? Mm. Was that really true? Do people really do that? That's not true. That didn't really happen. That's folklore. And I feel like that some of the way they try to erase history or suppress it or say forget the past, don't bring that up. To me, that's leading to that imaginary nigger syndrome where it's going to be this one day. Black people, what are you talking about? You were never slaves. You were never oppressed. No one ever had to guess how many jelly beans were in a jar to take a test. No one's grandfather used to have to prove, he. you had to prove your grandfather owned land in order to be able to vote. Like All those things were laws that took place to, to suppress people, black people specifically mm-hmm. from voting. And they're still doing it now. Exact. First of all, you you become you make it a law. You got to have ID. Then to complete the cycle, my registration got to match the ID that you said I got to have in order to vote. Girl, first of all, and, no. And consequently, uh-huh. the cost of IDs went up. But now I paid seventy two dollars. Go up. It became more complicated to get an ID because you got to go in there with all everything but a vial of blood. Exactly. To get an ID. So, yeah, a couple of things. One, um, North Carolina is looking to make it a constitutional amendment to have an ID to vote. Um, two, I think when you talk about that imaginary nigger syndrome, I think that the election of Barack Obama was, like, the first, like, rung in that, right? Because y'all were able to get one of y'all up in that office. So, therefore, there cannot be any racism because Barack and Michelle lived there for eight years. And it's like, 
say what now? Like that, that was definitely, that's act one in imaginary nigga, you know, um, cinema <laughs> act one. <laughs> I never thought about that anymore, but that's real. Like you're, you're exactly right. Because to me, that's where, where they can start, right? Mm-hmm. They can start with the, Oh, but you had a black president. Yeah. But it's not about him being an exception to the rule. It's all the things he went through to get there, stay there, even after the fact, everything he faced when it was gone, the things they said about him. Because, and it goes back to what you said, and I think that's one of the things that just, again, I can't understand how people can't put two and two together, right, of, of the things that they do. When Because what happened was something had to be an anomaly about Barack Obama that he could be the type of person people would be elected to president to take seriously. So what they come up with, well, he just ain't American. Nope, not. He was born in Kenya. That's it. And that gotta be it. He can't be a regular black man from America and become president. That's not how this works. No, 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 no. He's, nope, he's from Kenya. That's, that's, that's it. You know, so it comes back to this, oh, no, 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 we have this voter fraud. Like, no, are these must be these fake voters, they're registering fake voters, these minorities, they're not real people. They're registering dead people because um, even when they started talking about, you know, the fact that the turnout, early voting turnout in Georgia has broken records already. Like, that is almost, what, triple what it was in 2014. And now they're saying, well, I hope they're checking them because, I mean, because it, it's like, how dare you stand up for yourself? How dare people have enough like who said enough is enough like but i feel like these are direct consequences to our current leadership Mm -hmm. people and and they talked about it they said you are going to have to see us in these midterms it is not a overnight thing that people care about these midterms because they've been saying it from the minute donald trump won and none of this is new the midterms after barack obama was elected we had the tea party reform right the midterms (laughs) after um, um, uh, the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas, um, uh, nomination debate. We had a, a wave of women come in, right? None of this is new. Barack Obama, partly the eight years of George Bush created Barack Obama and the eight years of Barack Obama, you know what created the current presidential administration. The pendulum always swings, right? It always swings. And you always get people go to the polls when they're fired up when they feel like my voice needs to be heard. And for eight years, the status quo, the white people, especially white men in this country, felt like we have been ignored. And I mean, a lot of people may say they're right. Oh, well, who cares? Um, You know what I mean? I could just only hope, I'm going to be honest with you. I honestly hope that the people of Georgia, especially the conservatives, the white folks of Georgia, at this point feel the way I feel when I woke up this two two Novembers ago, and realized what the fuck. What you went to sleep feeling nice and cozy? No, and I was woke up like, no, let me go back to sleep. I this went ain't, to this sleep ain't it. because I was like, this ain't right. So I'm just gonna go on to sleep because what's happening here ain't right. That's where I went to sleep, and then I woke up and I and I got the notifications, girl, and I was like, what? Excuse me. I cried, and I couldn't believe I cried. I just couldn't. I was upset with myself for being that distraught, but it was just kind of like, y'all, this can't be for real. But I think it, you know, and every it's it's a lot of 
things that made it happen, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot of reasons that Donald Trump is in the position that he is in now, but it is not his position. It is not something he gonna hold on internally, eternally. But what we gotta do is make the people who give him power accountable in these midterms mm-hmm. and say enough is enough. Especially when so many of them who are at his beck and call right now had so much to say against him before he won. So I'm just gonna hold you accountable for you because he didn't sway you with his personality. You know, it's not like he became a different person. You well, know, and you had base. a change of heart. That ain't what happened. Well his base appreciates that. Like and you know, like throughout it or throughout the two years, no matter how many times we may say, what the hell is in this office? What is he doing? How can he do that? How can he say that? That's what his base likes. The more unhinged he sounds, the more crazy exactly. tweets that we get, the more of the the more of I love him because he's honest and raw and he's not afraid to say whatever's on your mind, he will continue to have a base and he will content and GOP will continue to be his bitch because he has that base. Right. And you know what I mean? Like the GOP more than anything, they really, really, really need to do some soul searching. (laughs) I mean, but you know what? They're not because as long as he continues to have that unwavering base, which he does, because there's no way in the world after he called people horse face, um, after everything that he said and done, you know what I mean, that he still has a, a loyal base like this? They're not, nothing, nothing short of, I can't think of anything that, that he could do at this point in which he would lose that, that segment of the society. And that's the same segment that's voting in Georgia, voting for Brian Kemp, right. that says that Brian that's Kemp true. can do no wrong wrong. And I could just imagine what they're saying about Stacey Abrams. Well, I mean, and let's be clear, not only is that the, the base Brian, that Brian Kemp's base, he is unapologetically aligned with that. It's not like, you know, you've seen a couple of these re-election campaigns where people have tried to distance themselves from Donald Trump because they know. I was, Karen Handel did that, you know, when she ran against John Ossoff. She tried her best not to ever mention Donald Trump, even though we know she was on the team. She never really did it. So there are people who tried it, but Brian Kemp is not one of those people. You know, he his his campaigns are say, are literally saying, I support President Trump. Mike Pence is coming down the rally for him. Donald Trump is supposedly, they say, going to end up coming. Um, that I heard some people in my job talking about it, but, you know, that Mike Pence is confirmed, so to speak, but that Don may, you know, the Don may come too because he feels like, like you said, that's going to rally his base. But, you know, I, I feel like there are, and I I'm, I saw this article. And I know you're going to be like, really, Ronetta? But I did. I saw this article <laughs> when the whole Brett Kavanaugh situation was happening. And it was an article where this lady essentially wrote a thank you note to all the men who've never assaulted her mm. when she's been in compromising situations. It, 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 oh, my God. It, was, it touched me so much because it made me think. Because as women, we're taught about not putting ourselves in these situations because men just don't know them better, right? Mm-hmm. So, but, but we've all done it. You know what I'm saying? We've all had those situations where things have happened and we've come out unscathed because a guy was the right, he, was, he did the right thing. You know, you've been in a situation where you've been around uh, a man you almost was about to, and then you was like, I ain't feeling it. And he was like, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's cool. You know, you walk away. So I'm starting to feel like I need to start thinking like that 
in terms of Trump versus not Trump, right? I have, because if I feel like every white person I see supports Trump, and I can't do that because that's just not true, right? No, no, it's it's not. It's not. It's not. So it's just, it's it's about the squeakiest wheel, (laughs) you know, and I'm having to say, Barnetta. The normal person do they 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 aren't lining up with this man. He didn't win the popular vote, right? So st- you got to start focusing on riling up those people who just ain't going out to vote, who just feel like they're they they're they don't have a voice, like their voice doesn't matter because we outnumber these people. That's a fact. Well, I I mean, we outnumber them. Yeah, but but the, but there's still the case of the white woman. There's still the case of the still the case of the white woman, and it's still the case of the <sighs> white women that votes, right? Because the majority of white women that voted voted for Trump, right? And I was thinking the other day, I'm like, they can't. I guess their primary, because you you know what is it? Prime your primary identity or primary status, uh, your master status, and to, right. it's like their master status has to identify with their race besides other than their gender. And that's the reason why we have issues in the whole feminine com- feminism community with, you know, just racial issues. But, I mean, I, I just, no, I don't believe that the majority of white people in this country, um, mm, let me think about this for a second. What'd you say? I said, hopefully they're not Donald Trump's base. <laughs> mm, I think that they're a part of their, their, their I think that they are a part of his base for different reasons. I, I do do I do I believe that every white woman or every white person in this country um, identifies with Donald Trump resonates that 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 message resonates no but I do think however well intended and 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 had nice I do think that mo- well, the majority of white people benefit from the privilege and they want to keep the privilege irrespective they may not be racist like i don't think that they they wake up and say let me kill me a nigga today i don't i don't i don't think that right but i do think think there's a power structure in this com- in this country that they benefit from and i don't know if they're truly willing to truly dismantle that power structure and what that means for them do you know what i mean Right. Like, I don't well, let me because, ask you a question. Because mm-hmm. look, I know it's your podcast, but this is genuinely something I've thought about, and I feel like you're the type of person who could provide an answer. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I hate the term white privilege in the sense of the word privilege allows them the scapegoat to say, "No, I'm not privileged," right, mm-hmm. and dismiss what what it really means. And I and I when I have conversations with people, I'll say, "You need to liken." white privilege to being beautiful right to a woman that's beautiful who doesn't hasn't quote-unquote done anything she was just born beautiful but she gets in the club free all the time and mm-hmm. you know all the benefits you you would know all the benefits that come sometimes <laughs> from just being a pretty face <laughs> so when you have a very pretty face certain things ha- are drawn to you right and so I guess my thing is how what what is it for those who who want to be better who who will say okay I recognize that I have white privilege what has there ever been a not a formal obviously but a, a conversation or a something about what actions should people who recognize they have white privilege do make yourself uncomfortable talk to and I think it was something as simple as thanks holidays coming up right. 
And when they start to have that conversation in your household in which, you know, you know that the, you know that that conversation fosters the, the environment that we see now, but you don't say anything. And it requires you stepping out of your comfort zone and challenging your mama, challenging, you know what I mean, your uncle. It requires that because, I mean, and I think that it, it's going to... Where does it go from there, those conversations? I mean, I, I definitely, I, I agree with you, but where, where does it go? Because you're right, that may change the setting at that table and in mm-hmm. and, and future, but is that so that they change the way they vote, that they change the lens and that they see things that benefit them? Is that for them to turn down benefits? Like, where does it go from there? You know, because I, when yeah. I think about the beauty, the beautiful part, I'm like, does that mean the girl got to say, well, yeah, everywhere, my, my ugly friend got to come too? Like, what <laughs> is she supposed to do? <laughs> because... I think- she benefits from being pretty. But I think the one that you have to, you have to, I don't know. I mean, I maybe, maybe question the benefits that you receive. Like, I don't know. I think, I think, okay. I think some of it is acknowledge that you just, some of the shit you just didn't earn. Right. You know what I mean? Like you just didn't earn it. And acknowledging that. And, um, working or doing your part to ensure equity when you can. Um, but equity I mean, I think that that's a great question because I don't think anyone talks about it. Like, how do we, sh- but we, how do we shift that power? I think collectively we definitely can shift the power. And I believe that people that are oppressed in marginalized communities, we, we not going to get that power by asking for it. Um, but yeah, I think, and you know, you know, just keep in mind, like when you talk about this, Georgia, um, you know, race, whoever wins this race will have immense power in a lot of things, right? I think Georgia has, like, done a lot of gerrymandering to um, assure that they continue to win elections. And so, um, you know, I I think I I really just want to get across to the listeners that this race alone, like this November election, like I said, there are 435 House seats up for election, 35 Senate races, and 36 governor races. And there's a lot. Like, we could really, this country could really, really look different on the morning of, when's the election? November 6th? November 7th. The morning of November 7th. And this Georgia race, the more that we talk about it, I think, I think it is indicative of where we are in this country where, you know, you have a party and you have, frankly, um, a party and a um, the majority in the state really trying to hold on to power. But they can't concede the fact that the United States is looking different. The United States is looking more brown, more black, especially more brown. I think in a couple of years, 25% of people will be Spanish speakers. And they just cannot concede. They cannot let go of that power. And we're seeing, I guess that's what Kent was saying, that they're fighting. What is this? The, what For the soul of soul Georgia. Soul of the say, I guess. I don't know. And he specifically said, they're going to get out here. Like he said, it's on tape. He said they're gonna get out of here and they're gonna register all these minorities. He said that, and to me, <laughs> it goes back to what you said about privilege versus right. Because it's like they're gonna register these minorities and they're gonna think that they have a voice 
and that they can decide how this how the soul of Georgia should be reflected. It's the same. It's the same value. Why they holding on to that loser Confederate flag, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. The same thing in them that makes them hate talk about immigrants and illegals. But guess what? The majority of Georgia is agriculture. You think? Who do you think working on those farms? Not a lot. Not a lot of people now with the migrant, you know, migrant workers. That's what not, I'm saying. Yeah. So they they don't even know what's best for them. I hate to say it like like they children, but they don't even know what they 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 aren't even. And let's be clear, Georgia ranks in the bottom in this country when it comes to education. <laughs> and some of their thought process is why that's the case. Because I think somebody's look going back to me trolling. Somebody put old red wave. You know, imagine you so dumb. Somebody you want to you think it's gonna be a red wave. In Georgia, it's gonna be a blue wave in Georgia, and I had to say, well, imagine being so dumb that you want to continue riding the red wave of a state that's in the bottom of everything when it comes nationally, like that it, that matters, like healthcare, education, socioeconomic status, all these things. We like the bottom of that. So what? What? Why? Why should we stay on this wave? Because the people who the not the because all these jobs are coming to Georgia. Coming to Atlanta, let me say that. Coming to democratic cities, right? Augusta is getting this global cyber center. Atlanta's bringing in, has all these Fortune 500 companies. But what they're not doing is hiring talent in Georgia. They're bringing their talent from these other places. And Atlanta is full. Atlanta is full. The highways have had enough. They don't stop buckling. (laughs) So, all that to say... You know, you're like, oh, we're making this progress. We're not making pro- We're making progress. People moving here. Like, it's not. And, and you're right. It's changing because people are moving here. I think Atlanta has been, like, Penske truck has been, for the last 10 years, the number one city people are moving to when they rent a Penske truck. So you're talking about this red wave, but you can't, you can't have, you can't have, you can't say come to our city, but follow, come to our, our state but follow our rules. You can't have a, a a state that's out doing Hollywood in terms of films and in the movie industry that's coming to this to the state. But at the same token, again, they're not hiring people in Georgia. Yeah, we're benefiting from it for the domino effect it has on the economy, but like you that's why I, I would be against anybody who would. I would be for anybody running against Brian Kemp. I think I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be completely transparent when I say that. Mm-hmm. As long as it's not him, I think I'll be voting. But the fact of the matter is, Stacey Abrams has a plan, and she wants. She she acknowledges because Brian Kemp is literally running on "Let's keep Georgia like it is," and she running on "Hey, this is how Georgia needs to change." It, it's no contest to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I thank you so much. Like I, I, this is like the perfect episode. I'm sure when I run this back, I, it's gonna be hard for me to find a, a, a 40 second snippet for promo. But um, thank you so much for thank just you for doing having this. me and let me get on my proverbial soap stool with you. Right. I'm usually chasing after your stuff, but it's nice to be able to have an exchange and. Uh, somebody who got, because I love your ideas, which is why I love this podcast. Yay! Um, I love your ideas about all things, and I'm so glad you're definitely revisiting um, after the voter. I learned so much from the voter uh, suppression episode, but to now, and it was, you know, it was historical, 
semi. But now to know, like, no, we still ain't done. <laughs> we got more for you. It's happening right now. <laughs> exactly. Let me purge these votes to on today. On today, we still purging votes. Um, right. But uh, voters. But um, that's it. And you have to agree. I'm going to find another topic for you to come back. So. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. And I will talk to you later. Thank you so much, Imar. Thank you, RTB family. All right. Bye. So thank you uh, so much for joining me for today's or this episode. Um, I really hope that you enjoy the conversation. Um, I always have great conversation and just great dialogue with her. Um, don't forget to hit us up on IG. IG and Facebook, we're one RTB podcast. The website is www.rtbpodcast.com. And you can find us on Apple Music, Google Play, or Stitcher. Um, I appreciate the support. Please don't forget to go out and vote. Uh, check out the candidates that we have on the web um, on the um, website. Um, yeah, and um, until next time, stay stay blessed, be safe.